Before I begin the sermon, um, just a real quick uh, update. Steve Germany, our, our new minister of music, is going to be uh, here the week of July 24. So they've kind of got things ready down there. and They'll be moving up here in about four weeks. Um, we're still looking for some places. We wanted to give them a, doesn't know anybody in the area. Krista doesn't. They've got three kids. So if you have a place, if you're out at a cottage right now and, and you're going to be out there in your condo or whatever in town is available or something, but we'd love to be able to give them a place and, and they can bounce around for maybe four or five, six months just so that they can figure out the area and where they want to live. So once again, just if you have something like that, if you can call us at the church office, talk to Andy Pasma, we would appreciate that very much. Last week we kind of kicked off a, a new sermon series, but it's really picking up on an old one. Uh, several years ago we kind of started to do this because I think it's really helpful for me to study the book of Genesis, all right? We call this series Beginnings because Genesis is the, the first book of the Bible, all right? It's the very first book of the Bible. And, 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 and what we wanted to do is to kind of say, if we want to understand who we are today, if we want to understand what God has done in our lives, one of the key things we've got to understand is how we got here where we came from, what happened, how it was right, and where it went wrong. And the book of Genesis gives us some really basic, key, essential, important information that we need to keep growing through. And so we actually started a few years ago by looking at the creation story, all right? We said, you know, there are kind of some ways that we can organize this. And so the first two chapters of Genesis tell us that, that God created everything, all right? And, and, and God is the one who put it all together, and he created us in his image, and everything was exactly the way it was supposed to be. There was, there was just just no, nothing that wasn't the way God wanted it to be in relationships between Adam and Eve and God were perfect and Adam and Eve and each other were perfect and the creation did what it was supposed to. And so we, we started way up there, all right? God created and gave us this world and it was an amazing gift. And, and then what happens next is the fall. All right, what happens next is that things break apart. Things, Adam and Eve rebel against God. Adam and Eve choose to live their own way, all right? They choose to, to do things on their own. And, and because of that, everything is broken. Everything is twisted. Everything is bent. And nothing works the way it's supposed to anymore. And all of the pain we experience, all the brokenness we experience in our world today, really, we think, goes all the way back to that time. Because Adam and Eve, and somehow we in them, Adam and Eve said, God, we want to do it our way. And when we say that to God, then our lives fall apart. And so we see the fall and the brokenness. God created a good. Then we have the fall. And then we said that the next thing that happens is God sort of works with the entire world. Okay, God works with all of, all of creation, all of humanity, and what we called early history. Okay, and, and, and it was there that we see those stories of Cain killing Abel, that, that things are getting worse. And Lamech says, I'm going to kill 70 people if anybody takes me on. And, 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 and before the flood, it's all full of violence and evil and all this brokenness. And so God sends the flood to cleanse things, to say, I'm going to give you a fresh start. We're going to change the environment. We're going to get rid of all the bad people. I'm going to just take Noah. Noah is a good guy, and Noah can get it right, but Noah doesn't get it right. And, and so we see the world fall back down, and we end up at the Tower of Babel where God says, you know what? I got to separate you all out. You got to, I got to change my plan here. Now, God knew that was going to go. I said last week, and I think it's important for us to, to understand this. God knew it was going to go that way. It's not that God said, oh, I tried this, and it didn't work. God knows what's going to work, but what he needs us to know is that it's only what he did through Jesus Christ that can save us, right? He needs us to know, because we would say, you know, God, if you gave me this opportunity, I wouldn't fall into that. And the fact is, each and every one of us would. And so last week we said, all right, well, what's next, all right? We've got this, this God working through these, the whole world, and now God is going to change his plans. And what's next is God is going to start with just one person, and that's going to become one family, and it's going to become one nation, and out of that nation, Jesus is going to come. And so what's next is Abraham, all right? 
And, and that's what we're going to be spending our time on this summer, looking at Genesis 12 to 25, basically, looking at the story of Abraham. And, and, and Abraham, in, in a sense, you know, this other stuff is there, and we're all children of Adam and Eve. But, but when we come to be, be children of faith, we become children of Abraham, the Bible says. In the New Testament, we said last week there are two names that, that Abraham is given. He is the father of all who believe, and he is God's friend. And so as we look at the life of Abraham, as we look at the ups and the downs, as we look at the faithfulness and the lack of faithfulness, we look and we see our lives. We look at what it means to be in a relationship with God. We, we learn about what it means of who God is and how God responds to us and what God does for us. And we learn how we respond to God. And, and so we're going to look at Abraham and, and, and learn about our father, our great, 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 great grandfather in the faith, a guy by the name of Abraham. So I want to start just by giving you a little idea of the, the start of Abram's story because the way God deals with Abram, and, and just so you know, Abram and Abraham are the same. God's going to call him Abraham later on. So most of us know him as Abraham, but he's actually Abram in the beginning. And so I'll go back and forth randomly just because I can't always remember to keep him straight. So uh, that's just the truth, all right? So we start with Abram and Abraham and <laughs> Abram. And, and, and who he is, is is one of the things we learn is he's from Ur of the Chaldeans, okay? He's from this place called Ur of the Chaldeans, which is really important to know if you know anything about Ur of the Chaldeans, but most of us don't, right? Where in the world is Ur? Where is this from? What's this about? And, and one of the things I think that's really interesting is to discover that, that the Chaldean Empire was the most powerful one, and their capital city was Ur. Okay, so I always kind of, in the back of my mind growing up, I had this idea that Abram was just this kind of farmer who was out in the middle of nowhere, that he was out in Podunk, Iowa, and then God called him to go someplace else. Now, the fact is, Abraham really, Abram was really kind of in New York City. Ur of the Chaldeans was the center of the world. Let me show you kind of where it is, all right? Here's a map. You see Italy there on the left, Greece. You work around. Egypt is on the bottom. And, and, and so right here, this is where the, the land of Canaan is. This is the promised land. That's Israel. That's where uh, Abraham is going to end up. Where he starts, where God calls him from, is over here to the right, all right? That's Ur of the Chaldeans. You can see that. It's present-day Iraq, if you want to. You can see Persian Gulf there. It's present-day Iraq, if you can read really well. Babylon is just above where it sells Chaldea there, all right? So that's, that's where it is, and God is going to call Abraham to go from there to the promised land. Now, like I said, I want to give you a little bit of idea that, that Ur was not just kind of this, this small little undeveloped society. This was the most developed. It had a very, very uh, well-developed society, very well-developed culture here. Here's a, a, a redrawing of, of what a village in that time would have looked like. They know that from archaeology. But again, it's well-developed. And, and Abram might well have been, he was a, a farmer of some short, a ten, a sort, a tender of sheep and so on. But you can see, I mean, he might have lived in the city. I mean, that's, th- th- this is pretty sophisticated stuff. Um, this is Ur, a reconstruction of Ur, their capital city. And it was, again, just a gorgeous, amazing city. This right here is called a, a ziggurat, okay? A ziggurat, uh, Z, not C. Um, it's, it's a ziggurat, and it was a, a space of, for worship. And in fact, again, this was around 4,000 years ago, and it has survived to this day, and they've rebuilt it some, and this is what it looks like today. Um, and so, again, this is, you know, this is not, this is a beautiful culture, a powerful culture, a well-developed culture. This, this temple building is, let me give you some dimensions here, it's 210 feet across the front, 150 feet from front to back, and it would have been, the, the top they did not reconstruct, but it would have been 100 feet tall, which would have been almost three of these, all right, as far as height goes, three times higher than the, the room we're in right now. 
And so it is just amazing to, to recognize this was a huge place. And it was specifically a temple to the god Nana, which is the moon god. Okay, that was the, he was the main god. They believed in many gods, but it was the moon god Nana who was here at the ziggurat in Ur of the Chaldeans. And so kind of the, the main god probably that uh, Abram worshipped before God called him was Nana, although he would have recognized that there were a bunch of gods, all right? So, all right, so again, that's where he starts off, and, and he's there, and in, in some ways, it's, it's a good place. It's a safe place. It's a su- secure place. It's a, it's a societal place. Now, God calls Abram, and it's kind of interesting. I don't know. You may have noticed this. You may never have heard this or known this. But God calls Abram from Ur of the Chaldeans, but he kind of only does half the journey first. And then he stops. And, and actually, his father goes with him. Let, let me point this out to you. Genesis eleven thirty one, Terah, and that's, that's Abram's father, okay? Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. So, all right, what happens is that they, we got Abram, his father, his nephew Lot, and his wife Sarah. Okay, so those are going to be kind of the four people, and Terah's going to die soon, so you really don't have to worry about it. It's Abraham, Sarah, and then his nephew Lot that we're going to spend a lot of time with in the next few weeks, all right? Those four, they leave Ur of the Chaldeans. Okay, now you'd think that if they were going to go as fast as they could, this is the promised land over here, a straight line would be right across here, but as you can see, that would require going across the desert, and you just can't do that, all right? So they didn't go that route. Instead, they followed up here, the Euphrates River, maybe the Tigris River, and they stopped in Haran, okay? They stopped in Haran, okay? And, and it's kind of interesting. We don't know why. Preachers sometimes speculate, I think, and, and, and say, well, you know, because his father wasn't quite as committed as he was. This would have been, I don't know if this was it, it would have been the edge kind of of the Chaldean Empire, and so maybe Terah said, the father said, you know, I am willing to go a ways out of Ur, but I am not willing to leave the empire. I am not willing to go into the place where everybody's kind of crazy and so on. And so I don't know what it was, but they stayed there for a while. They stayed there for a while, and then Terah died, okay? The father died. Abram's father died. And then, and then in Genesis 12, we read these words. This comes again, the call to Abram. The Lord... And and it could be had said or said. It's it's either way in the Hebrew. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now again, it seems like this is probably maybe the call that came in Ur. And after Terah died, God comes back to Abram and says, look, man, it's time to finish the journey. It's time for you to go where I need you to go. And so Abram does this time. And he leaves there. He makes his way down into the promised land, all right? And, and, and that's really one of the key things. This is, this is how God comes into Abram's life. And, and the reason it's important for you, the reason it's important for me, is because this is still the same way God comes into our lives, okay? When God comes into our lives, he does the same thing that he did to Abram. He invites us. He calls us. He challenges us. And the question we need to ask ourselves is, how are we going to respond, okay? Each and every one of us, God comes to us and wants to give us life. Each and every one of us, God comes to us, and through Jesus Christ, he wants to bring us to the place where he can use us, where he can bless us. And the question is, are we going to be willing to leave, okay? Are we going to be willing to leave behind, and are we going to be going? And so I want to this morning just think about that call. That, that call of Abraham, and as we think about Abraham's call, we're also going to think about God's call in our lives, and we're going to say, okay, am I hearing this voice? 
And how am I responding to what God is calling me to do and to God's invitation in my life? So I want to talk about four things, okay? Four things about God's call, I think, that are true of Abraham, that are true of every one of us all the way down the line, okay? First of all, and and this is really, I think, really important for us, but God's call comes to us in our weakness. God's call comes to us in our weakness, God is going to start over again. I want, you, I want you to think about this. Okay, remember we got creation, we got fall, we got things messy for, for a few chapters of the Bible, and now God has separated everybody into nations and so on, and now God is going to pick one individual. So, so think about this. You put yourself in God's shoes. God has the pick of anyone in the world. God is going to start a new thing, and he has pick of anyone in the world. He can choose the king of Ur, he can choose the emperor, he can choose whoever he wants to. He can pick anyone he wants But look at who he picks. Who he picks is an insignificant man and a barren woman. If you think about it, if any of you like me watched some of the NBA draft coverage this past week, when they would draft somebody, they'd have a five-minute montage of, of this player, and they'd say, oh, this player can do this well and this well and this well. If you and I were on that draft analysis team and we saw God making his choice, with the first choice in salvation, God chooses Abram. We'd be like, he's off the board. Who's Abraham? Nobody would have known him. He was a nobody, and it would have been, God, this is crazy, because it's like choosing a basketball player who's lost an arm, because <laughs> his wife is barren, right? I mean, that's what Genesis 11.30 taught us, that, that Sarah couldn't have any children. Now, Sarah was childless because she was not able to conceive, okay? So think about that. Who does God choose? He could choose anybody. He's going to save the world. He's going to make a difference for everybody. He's going to make all things new, and who does he choose? He chooses this guy, Nobody would have known who Abram was. Nobody would have had any idea. This guy wasn't strong or powerful. This guy wasn't big and great, and his wife couldn't have kids. How are they going to have any any nation come out of them? How are they going to have all of this influence? But that's exactly the way God works. Time and time again, when God calls us to be his people, He does not pick the best and the brightest. He does not pick the smartest and the strongest. When God picks, God often picks from the bottom of the barrel. God often picks us in our weakness. You think about it. You go down, further down the line to to one of uh, uh, Abram's great, 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 great grandsons, Moses. Moses, go lead my people out of Egypt. But God, I can't speak worth a wit. I stutter. I, I, I don't get this right. Moses, I don't care. I want you to do this. And so God uses Moses. And then he uses the youngest son, David, right? And, and, and time and time again. And in the New Testament, it continues. Look what the Apostle Paul has to say about God calling us in our weakness. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 27. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God comes to us. In our weakness. And, and, and we need to think about that. Because I think there are so many of us who say, well, I can't, I can't be used by God because I don't have enough gifts. I don't, I don't speak well. I don't do this well. I can't teach. I can't. I, I. You know what? When we are in that place of brokenness, we are in that place where God often uses most powerfully. Because as, Paul, as God says through the Apostle Paul and other places, it's, it's in our weakness that God's grace shines through. It's in our brokenness that God's grace is there. It's it's when we are weak that God is strong. And, and, And the message is not that I have it together. 
The message of the gospel is that I don't, but Jesus Christ died for me. I am a sinner saved by grace. That is the gospel. That is the core of what we believe in this church. That God has come to us in our weakness. That God has come to us in our brokenness. That's who God calls. In in a sense, we have to be careful when we think we have it all together. We have to be careful when we think we're strong. Because that's the time that God can least use us. When God most can use us, when God calls us, it's out of weakness. You got Abram and Sarai, this childless couple. In that day, it wouldn't have just been that pain that some of you know of not being able to have children. But it would have been a sign of, of God's curse. Nana was not happy with them, did not give them children. And people would have been talking about what did they do wrong? And how, how was the God punishing them? With it? I mean, they were nobody. Their life was at a dead end. And God said, I am the God of new life. And, and, and so just to say, for those of you who are at dead ends, for those of you who feel like my life, I, I, don't, I, just, I, I just don't know where to go, then you are maybe ready for God to call you. Because God calls in our weakness. Okay, that's the first thing. God comes to us. His call comes to us in our weakness. The second thing we've got to recognize, and this is one I think that's going to challenge us perhaps the most. And, the, and it's this, that God's call when it comes to us, God's call is radical. It is not a call to sign up for a Thursday night bowling league. It's not a call to just say, hey, can you add this to your resume? It's not a call to, to Abram say, Abram, can you just kind of, in your pantheon of gods, can you add me or can you just stay where you are and, and maybe add a psalm or two into what you're doing in your worship? No, God's call is unbelievably radical to Abram, and we've got to figure out what that means for us, all right? Genesis 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, Go. Go. The Lord said to Abram, when he comes to us, he calls us to go. And he's going to call Abram to go from two things. He's going to call him to go from something and to go to something. First of all, he says, go from. Go from your country, go from your people, and go from your father's household. Leave behind all of those things. And, and, and to kind of just make it clear, I think what, what he's being called to leave behind is, is he's being called to leave his, his old security and his old identity. These were the things, his name, his, his, his country, his people, his father. All of these things were the things that gave Abram security. All of these things were the things that gave Abram a place where he felt like he could belong. They gave him an identity. And God says, leave your old identity. Leave that aside. And I want you to go, okay? I want you to go from that. And I want you to go to the land I will show you. And, and, and that's God's call. Not just to leave behind, but go. To go where God sends us. And again, in Hebrews, we read that, that, that Abram doesn't know where he's going. And that is so often the case. God says, leave this behind and trust me because I want to go forward with you. And, and that is the call that God makes to every one of us. And now always, not always to move into a new place, all right? It's not always to leave this country. But each and every one of us are called to figure out how do we leave behind our old identity? How do we leave behind our old security? And how do we more and more make ourselves available to God? How do we more and more go where God sends us? And, 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 and I think we need to, again, for a lot of us, you know, I was raised in this area. I mean, I was born 60 miles from here, and I still live in this area. And so what does it mean for me to go, right? Obviously, I didn't go overseas. Obviously, I didn't go to Iowa. Obviously, I didn't go to California. I stayed in this area. So I don't think God calls all of us to move, to leave the area. But I wonder what, have I left enough? Have I left the, the world? Have I left my old identity? Have I left the security that I get from having a house and insurance and all that stuff? And have I really made myself available to God? 
Kirk Kingsley, our, our middle school um, director, our middle school minister, um, he, he was pretty wild in high school. Um, got involved in some pretty rough things. Became a Christian, really had a strong conversion experience, became a Christian. And, and he said through the rest of his high school years, he, he struggled with trying to really be available to God. And you know what he did? This is, I think, just amazing. When Kirk got done with high school, he moved out to Utah for a year. And the reason he did it is he knew he needed to break ties. He knew that as long as he had the relationships he had with the buddies he had and their lifestyle, he knew that he would not be able to leave it. And so he moved out to Utah by himself for a year. And then when he came back, he was able to not reestablish himself. Now, I'm not saying you need to move to Utah for a year. But I am saying, I wonder, have I ever done that? Have I ever in some real way said, God, I am not, my security is no longer in this stuff. I mean, God's call is radical. It's, I mean, one of the images that I think about is, is, is being on a trapeze, you know, about being on a trapeze. And, and, and in order to, to be caught by Jesus Christ, you got to let go. And, I, and I, sometimes I wonder, is God calling us? Is God calling me? And am I saying, God, yep, I want to be there. <laughs> I'm going to. But it's really scary to let go. It's really scary to say, God, I don't know what you're going to do with me, but I want to be totally available. I know you're going to catch me, and I know it's going to be better. It's, it's hard to know, and that's why I want you to think about it. I, I, I can't tell you what that's going to look like in your life. But I do know all of us need to recognize that God's call is radical, okay? God's call, Abraham has to be all in. And, and, and the same is true for us. Jesus calls us to follow him. Jesus calls us to say, I want you to be available to me and I want you to live in the kingdom way it's a challenge at work right how do you live in the new way at work how do you live in the new way in our neighborhoods how do we do that I don't know but that's God's call and that's part of what we want to look at as we go through with Abraham and and continue to move forward God's call is radical all right so it comes to us in our weakness And it's a radical call. It's not a call, like I say, just to kind of add in a Thursday night bowling league. It is a call to let go of what has been our lives and to make ourselves available to God. And and, and what that looks like, we each have to try to figure out as best we can. So it's radical. And then the third thing, it's powered by God's promises. When God calls Abram, what he gives Abram is not stuff, but a promise. Right? He gives him a promise. Look at verses 2 and 3 of Genesis 12. And, and, and I'm just going to circle all the, the, the promise verbs, right? The future verbs. God says, I will. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. Not necessarily right now, but I will, I promise. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who curse you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So when God comes to Abram, when God comes to you, when God comes to me, what he says is, Ron, trust me, let go of your old life. And, and in a sense, I think for me, I look at this and I say, you know, I made that basic commitment, but I need to remake this commitment every day to say, God, I want to let go of that and I want to be available to you. I want to do that. And so God says to me, Ron, what I, what I do is I promise this, I will bless you and I will use you and I will take care of you. And, 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 and what Abram gets when he leaves is, is that promise. He doesn't all of a sudden become immediately wealthy. 
He doesn't all of a sudden become, you know, immediately a great nation. Sarah doesn't immediately become pregnant. It's going to take a long time before that happens. And Abram's going to go through a lot of struggles before that happens. It's powered by his promises. And, 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 and those promises, we can get in trouble with those. I mean, there are some preachers who take these and say, God promised to bless you, therefore you're going to get rich. God promised to bless you, therefore you don't have to die. God promised to bless you so your kids aren't going to get cancer. God promised. That's not what he promises, okay? That's not the blessing as God defines it, all right? So what does God promise? Two things, that, that he will bless Abram, first of all. All right, and again, let me just show you this in the text. God says those first three lines, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. God will bless Abram. God will bless us. But there are two things we need to understand. It's not always in the way we want, Okay? God's blessings, that's where this, the health and wealth people get it wrong. They say, well, you know, you can name and claim what God's going to do for you. If you believe it, then it's going to happen. And so, but that's not true. That's not true. God doesn't promise to give us exactly what we want. He promises to give us himself. He promises to go with us. He promises to walk with us through that. It's not always what we want, and it's not always on our timing. We don't get to tell God when. We don't get to tell God it's got to be now. That's not the way it works. God does promise that if we let go, that he will catch us and he will bless us. But sometimes that blessing is experiencing his presence in the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes that blessing is just knowing that one day it will be all right. The fact is, we're going to look at this passage in a minute, but Abram didn't really get anything God promised in this world. It was all still will at the end of his life. But Abram says, I still trust him because someday I know I will get that. And Abram has. So so the first part of it is that, indeed, God will bless Abram. God will bless us. God will be surrounding us with his grace and with his strength. And we will know that, all right? So God makes that promise to us as we let go, as we turn to him. God will bless Abram in us. And then the second part, and this might be the more important part, okay? This might be the more important part. God will bless Abram, but more importantly, God will use Abram. Okay, God will use Abram. Abram is never called, we are never called for our own sake. Okay, God doesn't say, Abram, I just want to bless you and that's it. No, Abraham is blessed and he's called by God because through Abraham, salvation is going to come to the world. Through Abraham, God is going to bless the entire world. Again, go back to Genesis 2, 12, 2 and 3. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. And then these words, and you will be a blessing. Okay. You will be a blessing. That's why I'm calling you, because I want you to bless the world. Because I want you to show the world who I am. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. When God calls us, he calls us to bless us, but then he calls us to also bless others. He called the nation of Israel. He called Abram and his people that, that through Abram, the people will come to know God. Through the nation of Israel, people will come to know God. And we read that in the Old Testament, that Israel is called a light to the nations. You see what God's plan was, and, and I've said this before, but, but that Abram and, and the people would follow God, and then these other nations would look at them and say, tell us about your God. And, and now that's what God calls us to do. That's why we say as a community, we're called to create a place where the kingdom of God is real and visible. Because now through us, people will come to know God, the light of the world. And, and, and you and I are supposed to love each other and serve each other and care for each other. And this world in such a way that people say, tell me more. As Peter says, give me a reason for the hope that is in you. 
And again, I think about that and, and the challenge that that is for us. And I think about how so often we in the church are attacking each other, how we in the church are, are just confronting each other and, and, and we're not loving each other and how much we're, we're telling the world it's dark when God says, you don't have to worry about telling him it's dark as much as you just live light. Just, just love the people around you. Just serve the people around you. Yes, speak the truth. But God wants to use us to be a light to the world, all right? So it's powered by his promise. God promises to bless Abram. God promises that, that, that he will use Abram. And, and, and that's the call to you as well. So he, God says, you know what? I come to you in weakness, and, and I want you to let go. And I promise that I will bless you, and I will use you. Now, as I said earlier, I said we've got to understand something, that for the most of his life, the promise was all Abram got. To say, no, we get it right now. That's not true. Hebrews 11, verse 13. All these people, and he just got done talking about Abram, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Friends, God makes amazing promises, and someday it is going to be so good. But the fact of the matter is, we don't get to define them, and they'll come in God's time. And so what we say is, God, I will praise you, and I will serve, and I will love, and I know someday it's going to be okay. I trust your promises, God. I trust your promises, and that's how we are called to live. That's what powers our ability to love people who don't deserve to be loved, to forgive people who don't deserve to be forgiven. It's the fact that we know that God will take care of us, and we know that God will use us, and God will work through us. So God's call comes to us in our weakness. It's radical. It's powered by his promises. And then one more thing that we can learn in closing here, and that is that it makes us into worshipers. When God calls us, when we respond, when we we let go of our trapeze, when we grab onto his, when we say, okay, God, and and let me just change that. You know, I get that wrong, right? I don't know. I've never done trapeze, believe it or not. But, But for people who have, what they've said is when you're the jumper, you know, the letter goer, whatever that person is, you do not catch the other person. One of the hardest parts they say that for that is when you let go, you just, you just hold like this, and the other person catches you. That's, that's a great picture of us in the Christian life because we say, well, now i got to grab a hold on to God, right? No, I just have to say, God, okay, here I am, and God will grab a hold on to us. If we try to grab God, we'll probably miss, right? That's why they say the, the catcher, the one who's, who's leaping just stays there. And so it's not that we grab onto God. It's that God holds on to us. And once he's got a hold of us, we become worshipers. We become people who live in dialogue. That's what worship is. It's dialogue between us and God. It's bringing him praise, bringing him our requests. It's hearing his word. It's hearing his call. Look at what happens in the rest of this, this section of Genesis 12. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Okay, we don't know how old he was when he set out from Ur. Right? Remember that? He went from Ur to Haran. He was 75 years old when he left Haran. Um, set up from here, and he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the positions, possessions they had accumulated, and all the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Verse 6, Abram traveled throughout the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. This is the place. And then look at what, what Abram does. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. That's worship, all right? He built an altar to say, God, I, I, I worship you, I praise you, I offer you my life because you've spoken to me. 
And that gives us a picture of, of what we try to do in our worship. We come into God's presence and, and we praise him and we confess our sins and we confess our need and we call out to him and he says, I will be here for you. And he, he shows up. Genesis 12 verse 8, from there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And what does he do again? There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. He worships. He worships over and over and over again. Because this is a life of relationship with God. This is a life of, of, of finding new life, but of, of living as God holds on to us and, and, and as he brings us where he wants us to go and as he repeats his promises and as he blesses us and as he blesses others through us. It's an amazing thing. And again, each and every one of us has received this. God's call comes to us today, comes to us in our weakness. It is a call that is radical. It's powered by his promises, and it makes us into worshipers. As we close, I just say this, God still calls. And and, and the question I want you to be thinking about is this, how are we going to respond, all right? How how are you going to respond today and and, and tomorrow and the next day? Again, like I say, in, in some ways, it's, it's easiest to just say, well, I'm going to go to another country. Then I know that I've left it behind to follow God, right? I, there's a part of me that's always been tempted to do that, just so that I could say, phew, now I know. But I don't think God's calling me to another country. God's calling me to follow him here. So what does it mean for Ron Cool to live in, in, in Cutlerville, in Byron Center, in Kentwood, in Moline, in Door, in Grand Rapids? What does it mean for you to live where you are, to leave behind, and to go where God wants you to go? What does it mean for you tomorrow in your workplace to respond to God's call? What does it mean today at lunch with your family to hear God's call? What does it mean? And, 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 and again, that's, I think, a daily experience for us to then just kind of God say, God, I, I'm going to trust your promises. I'm going to go where you want me to go. And I'm going to worship you consistently and regularly. That's the life we're called to. And, 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 and what we're going to do the rest of the summer is say, okay, how'd this work out for Abram? How'd this work out for Abram? And, and it's really going to be important to, to get next week. Because if today we're going, well, Abram did this, man. The guy left behind New York City to move to Iowa. He left and moved to Nowheresville. Does he always have that faith? We'll find out next week. Let's pray together. Father, you call us. And it's a call, but it's also an invitation. You want to give us life. Father, you want to give us salvation. You want to give us so much more. So teach us to let go. Father, where we are settling for too little, where we are holding on to things that, that keep us unable to follow you fully, where we're, where we're holding on to lifestyles or anger or hurts or whatever it is, Lord, we don't know what those lines are, but just send your spirit to give us wisdom to know that we're doing the best we can of of letting go so that you might carry us where you want us to go. And Father, thanks for your grace that says even when we don't know if we've really let go, you still grab us and you hold us and you call us to continue to walk with you. So Father, thank you for Father Abraham and help us to learn more and more about you, our true Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand to receive God's parting word of benediction? Again, following our service, there are going to be some folks from Hillside in the prayer room. If you'd like to meet somebody or talk with somebody, there will be some folks who are happy to meet with you there. People of God, as we go from this place, know. Know that wherever we go, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ goes with us. And he promises to bless us and to use us. 
go in God's grace. Amen.